Hello, and welcome back to the Rewatch Rewind. My name is Jane, and this is the podcast where I count down my top 40 most rewatched movies in a 20-year period. Today, I will be talking about number 25 on my list, Disney's 1994 animated musical The Lion King, directed by Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff, written by Irene Mecki, Jonathan Roberts, and Linda Wolverton, featuring the voice talents of Matthew Broderick, Jeremy Irons, and James Earl Jones. Desperate for power, Scar, voiced by Jeremy Irons, murders his brother, King Mufasa, voiced by James Earl Jones, then blames and exiles his nephew Simba, voiced by Jonathan Taylor Thomas as a cub and by Matthew Broderick as an adult. Simba grows up in the wilderness with the help of a meerkat named Timon, voiced by Nathan Lane, and a warthog named Pumbaa, voiced by Ernie Sabella, whose motto is Hakuna Matata, or No Worries. But after Scar and his hyena henchmen destroy the Pride Lands, royal advisor Mandrill Rafiki, Robert Guillaume, Simba's childhood friend and adulthood lover Nala, voiced by Nikita Kalam and Maura Kelly, and the ghost of Mufasa all remind Simba that he actually does have some worries and convince him to return home to challenge his uncle. Apparently, the first movie I ever saw in a theater was a re-release of Pinocchio, but the first movie I actually remember seeing in a theater is The Lion King. My aunt took me to see it first, and while I don't have many specific memories of that experience, I was four, I do remember being overwhelmed with awe. I loved the characters, I loved the gorgeous animation, I loved the music, I loved the intense emotions, everything about it spoke to me. Later that year, I visited Disneyland for the first time, and the main things I remember from that trip are watching a Lion King-themed parade and visiting a gift shop at the end of the day to get a Simba stuffed animal, which I still have. After we got back home, my mom took my sister and me to see the movie at a second-run theater, and I was very excited to be able to bring my Simba to see it with me. My sister also brought a stuffed animal of her own. I have a very distinct memory of being in the bathroom of that particular theater after watching this movie and saying, Simba was very brave. And when my sister commented that her stuffed animal was brave too, I said, no, I mean in the movie. Why that has stuck with me for almost three decades, I have no idea. But that exchange is indicative of how much I wanted to talk about this movie for my entire childhood. As I mentioned in the Sound of Music episode, to my friend Christina's shock, Despite growing up in the 90s, I did not have a VCR until I was about 10 or 11 years old, which was around when most people started replacing their VCRs with DVD players. But my grandparents, who lived about a thousand miles away, had one, so I got to watch videos whenever we went to visit them, which was usually for several weeks once or twice a year. My grandma is not much of a movie person, and she only very rarely watches something more than once, so she has always been baffled and slightly amused by my penchant for rewatching. Before The Lion King, my favorite thing to watch over and over at their house was a video of four old cartoon shorts, two of which featured Humpty Dumpty. But after The Lion King was available for home viewing, that was what I wanted to watch the most. Whenever I put it on, my grandma would teasingly inquire, "'How many times have you watched it now, Jane?' And for a while, I could answer precisely, but I lost track somewhere around 10, 11, or 12 views, and that's part of what eventually led me to start keeping track of my movie watching in 2003. So if this podcast was based on total rewatches throughout my life, The Lion King would be much higher in this ranking. Eventually, we did get a VCR and a DVD player, and we got a special edition DVD of The Lion King around 2004. We also got The Lion King one and a half, which I very much enjoyed for a time, but haven't revisited since 2005. 
I remember watching The Lion King 2 a few times, but apparently they were all before 2003, so I don't remember much about it. But as far as the original Lion King, since keeping track, I saw it three times in 2003, twice each in 2004, 2005, and 2006, once each in 2008, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2017, 2018, and 2019, twice in 2020, and once in 2022. When my brother and I watched through all the theatrically released animated Disney films and ranked them in 2020, we knew we would be biased toward our childhood favorites, but I think we were both unprepared for just how clear it would be why the Disney Renaissance is so named. The striking, exponential increase in quality over the films immediately preceding this era cannot be overstated. But while the early Renaissance masterpieces The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast are incredible, we noticed that some of the animation sequences left something to be desired. Aladdin was much improved in that sense, with some breathtaking scenes. Seriously, rewatch Aladdin's attempted escape from the collapsing Cave of Wonders. And then, The Lion King. Nearly 30 years after it came out, The Lion King is still one of the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen. I knew going into that project that it would probably end up pretty high on the list, but even I was kind of shocked to find that, at least based on the specific criteria we were looking at, there was no contest. The Lion King was number one. We definitely had differences of opinion throughout the project, but on that we were in complete agreement. One thing that I particularly noticed while we were doing that project is that The Lion King's voice cast was one of, if not the most racially diverse of all animated Disney movies up to that point, which shows just how incredibly low the bar was since most of the main cast is white. Robert Guillaume was put in a similar position as Samuel E. Wright in The Little Mermaid in having to adopt a rather stereotypical accent, but despite that, his is an excellent performance. The main hyenas were at one point going to be voiced by Cheech and Chong, and Cheech does voice one of them, but Chong had to drop out and was ultimately replaced by Whoopi Goldberg, which worked perfectly because hyenas are matriarchal, and because there really needed to be more female characters in this movie. Sarabi, Simba's mother, was voiced by Madge Sinclair in her final feature film, and definitely deserved a bigger role. Nala is really the only other female character who is at all important, and for some reason, while young Nala is voiced by black actress Nikita Kalam, adult Nala is voiced by white actress Maura Kelly. Not that she does a bad job or anything, I just don't understand why they couldn't have cast another black actress. But at least they cast James Earl Jones as Mufasa. His voice and acting were so perfect that he played Mufasa again in the 2019 remake, which, despite having an iconic and much less white cast, I will never voluntarily watch because the few clips I've seen look like they were made by a group of internet trolls as a bad joke, but I digress. All of the voice acting in this movie is fabulous, but James Earl Jones' performance is unquestionably in the top two, along with Jeremy Irons' portrayal of Scar. I absolutely love Disney villains, and Scar has always been one of my favorites. I remember once when I was fairly young trying to articulate to my parents how much it delighted me that when he tells Simba that Mufasa's death is Simba's fault, his exact wording of, if it weren't for you, he'd still be alive, was technically true on multiple levels because not only did Mufasa die trying to rescue Simba, but it was also Simba's birth that made Scar desperate to kill both of them since before Simba was born, he was first in line for the throne. But Scar was neglecting to mention that he was the one who had arranged the stampede. And I thought that was so clever, and it blew my child mind. In more recent years, it has occurred to me that part of why I'm so drawn to villains is because they rarely have romantic partners. 
Sometimes that's because of the painful stereotype that the hero wins romance and the villain is punished with singleness, but often the villain shows no interest in romance, and that is the case with Scar. Or at least, the version of him that ended up in the movie. At one point, he was going to hit on Nala and prompt her to leave the Pride Lands, which is a storyline that was added back in for the Broadway musical. I appreciate that the creators of the musical wanted to expand the female characters, but I feel like there were better ways of doing that than showing Nala being sexually harassed. Anyway, Movie Scar, like many if not most animated Disney villains, is very queer-coded and could potentially be Arrow Ace, and even though he is very evil, I'll take any representation I can get. The way his ultimate downfall is that he betrayed his friends emphasizes the importance of maintaining trust in non-romantic relationships at a level that most stories wouldn't dare approach. Speaking of queerness, Timon and Pumbaa are the closest a Disney animated feature has come to showing a gay couple raising a child together. Personally, I like to think of their partnership as a QPR, or queer platonic relationship, which is a committed intimate relationship that is not romantic but is also different from a friendship, but that is entirely the aromantic in me projecting. To anyone out there who reads them as being in romantic love, that is a 100% valid interpretation, as is the interpretation that they're friends. Their relationship is ambiguous, and I kind of love that. I wish that the movie hadn't forced Simba and Nala into a friends-to-lovers path. Their friendship as kids makes me so happy, and their romance as adults has always confused me. For a long time, I assumed that it was normal to eventually fall in love with a friend of the opposite sex, and that there was something wrong with me for not doing that. But it got to the point where now I'm just annoyed at that part. Not that Can You Feel the Love Tonight isn't an excellent song. It is. I just don't really think it belongs in this movie. And I get that they wanted the story to end as it began with a baby lion to emphasize the circle of life theme, but still, it would have been nice to have one Disney Renaissance film that wasn't steeped in romance. Besides The Rescuers Down Under, which doesn't really count. So yeah, there are things about this movie I don't love, but they are so overshadowed by the aspects I do love that I don't usually dwell on them. Even after all these rewatches, there are still scenes that give me chills. That opening when the sun and Labo M's voice break through at the exact same moment and all the animals are heading to Pride Rock through the fog and in the intro to Circle of Life, ugh, it's so beautiful. And the wildebeest stampede. Apparently it took over two years just to animate that two and a half minute stampede scene using an innovating new computer programs and systems and man did that work pay off. As with the opening, the score and choir greatly enhanced the stampede scene as well. Even if I didn't love the story and the characters, which I do, the gorgeous animation and music would be enough to convince me to keep re-watching this movie. Which is particularly interesting given that most of Disney's top animators at the time, along with Disney Renaissance music superstar Alan Menken, were working on Pocahontas instead because the studio wasn't really taking this lion movie seriously. So the visuals were created by relatively inexperienced animators, and the score was by Hans Zimmer who had never worked on an animated film before. The story itself went through a staggering number of concept changes and rewrites. Three people are officially credited as screenwriters, but then there are 17 people credited with contributing to the story, an additional 8 people credited under additional story material, plus a story supervisor. At one point it was going to be a story about lions versus baboons, and the original title was King of the Jungle before somebody realized that lions don't actually live in the jungle. Eventually, the pitch became Bambi in Africa meets Hamlet, and everyone just ran with that. 
Somehow, seemingly by accident, exactly the right people with exactly the right talent and dedication managed to create a masterpiece out of what by all logic should have been a disaster, and learning all of this over the years has made me appreciate it even more. The Lion King is also full of difficult lessons that I still find relevant as an adult. Hakuna Matata is a good motto to apply to things you truly have no control over, but should never be used as an excuse not to work on problems you can do something about. Often it's hard to tell which is which, and that's why we all need friends and mentors like Nala and Rafiki to help. This movie also provides a deep and profound portrayal of grief through the eyes of a child and how it stays with him through adulthood. Many other Disney protagonists have deceased or absent parents, but there's no other moment in the Disney canon anywhere near as devastating as Mufasa's death. It's not exactly the same situation, but my aunt who first took me to see this movie died of cancer when I was 11. That was the first real loss of my life, and I think the fact that I will always associate The Lion King with her has significantly deepened my appreciation for this movie. My first viewing in 2020, before my brother and I embarked on our Disney project, was in honor of the 18th anniversary of her death, and I sobbed through most of the movie. It was very cathartic. I know that The Lion King is widely beloved and acclaimed. It's the highest grossing 2D animated film of all time. It won two Oscars. It has 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's currently ranked number 37 on IMDb's top 250 movies. But it still feels incredibly personal to me. It was the first movie that I ever felt truly, deeply in love with. So it will always be one of my favorites. Thank you for listening to me discuss another of my most frequently rewatched movies. Stay tuned for next week when I will be talking about another Disney film that I've seen 19 times. As always, I will leave you with a quote from that next movie. Darling, could you, like, chill for a sec? <laughs> <laughs>